This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Welcome everybody. Tonight we are learning Le'elui Nishmat to Yisrael ben Baruch HaLevi and Avram ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechaskel ben Avraham. So before we get to the topic tonight, exciting topic, before we get to that, I uh, want to make a little bit of a shout out and that is a shout out to one of my students, uh, let me see if I could make sure that you could, uh, you could see that. So one of my students wrote a book. Um, it's called The Indisputable Truth. And I, I had this supposed to be involved in the making of this book. So just to give you a little bit of a background on this book is uh, really a safer more than a book. I shouldn't call it a book. But the, so you have people that have an idea, right? We all have an idea. I mean, last week I had an idea. Hopefully, you know, it's going to be, something's going to come out of it uh, for whoever was here last week uh, for that app idea. And we have these different ideas and there are a few people that take their ideas and they put it into fruition. They actually pull through with what they want to do. So a few years ago, I don't remember how long ago this was. I, ha- I have to ask him how long ago this was. Um, there was a boy who, the, the author of this uh, of this book, is. there was a few people that were involved in it. They want to remain anonymous, so I'm not going to mention their name, but they reached out to me uh, a few years, not, I don't know, a few years ago, maybe two years ago, I don't remember exactly how long ago, and um, uh, th- this is basically based off the Divinity series of proving Torah, proving Hashem, so uh, there were, you know, there, there was a boy that was raised secular, not religious, and then he became religious, and he started hearing all these proofs, and all these, you know, how, how the Torah is so real, that there's no way that it's fake, there's no way that it's made up, there must be a, a God, there must be the Torah is true, and even though there's a bunch of books out there, and Sfarim, that go and they prove the Torah, and then they go and they prove that the, you know, there is Hashem, and they prove this, and they prove that, they prove that the Torah is Messini, and how, all these different books, but what he decided to do is to make a, a compact book, where you have all the information inside of it, inside in one, you know, in one, in one book, so... He went and he started putting it together. I remember years ago when he reached out to me, I shared with him my notes from the Divinity series. And, you know, we went back and forth quite a few times and different things. And he sent me a few different, you know, copies of what he was going through. And I read through it. And, you know, I have to say, I never told him this, but I am extremely, extremely impressed with uh, with what he did. Because n- most people do not pull through with what their thoughts, their ideas, and their dreams. And here you have a young guy, uh, there was a, more than one person involved with this, that went and they pulled through with it. And not only that, they reached out to many, many Rabbanim on, on, on this book. They went and they listened to all the lectures out there, all the shirim out there on proving the Torah, proving Hashem. They read so many sfarim on this, so many books on this. And they went and they combined it into one Safer, which is which is phenomenal. It proves that there is a that there is a God. It proves that the Torah is real. It goes and and it gives you so much information that after you read this, there is no way that you're going to remain an atheist, agnostic, or even a, you know a non-believer. Even if you're a, even if you have full emunah Baruch and you're fully there, you don't know how much stronger your emuna and your bitachon is going to be by by learning and understanding that there is a Kaddish Baruch Hu and seeing how, how it proves so strongly in the secular world as well. So not only did he went and he put all this work into this, he did it for, he, he basically wants to get this out for free. Uh, but he wanted to put it on an Amazon and for, you know, on Amazon you can't put things for free unless it's a Kindle book. So he ended up putting it in the cheapest way possible on Amazon, which is just about $6 uh, for it to get this book, The Indisputable uh, um, Truth. And um, the, 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 
plus above that is that if let's say you want to give it to a bunch of people, you don't have to pay for it. If you want to give it to, if you want to just buy for yourself, you know, go on Amazon. He's not making any money off it, and you know, just just you know, order it. But if you want to go and you want to give it out to people, you reach out to him, and he will send. He will ship you the. He'll pay for it. He'll ship you the books. He'll ship you everything. Everything for free, and you can give it out. So if you want to give it out um, to a few people, many people. One person, reach out to 201-878-4238. Uh, the other option is you can email the, you can email indisputabletruth613 at gmail.com. So let me spell that out. I-N-D-I-S-P-U-T-A-B-L-E-T-R-U-T-H-613. That's the numbers, 613 at gmail.com. And he wants to remain anonymous, so he doesn't want to, but a really big shout out to him for everything that he has done to put this together. And, you know, I have to say that it's a phenomenal work and it, and it really does a really nice job of like touching on everything. So I, I strongly recommend people, number one, to go and, and learn it and read it and spread it. But also, I strongly recommend for people to learn from him, to learn from somebody who saw something that he wanted to do and he went and he, and he, and he accomplished it. And by the way, writing a book is not an easy fact. I had, you know, uh, um, I don't know if you call it the publishers, the, the printers, whatever you want to call them. They reached out to me, you know, uh, not that long ago, actually, to write, a, to, you know, to write a, uh, you know, a book. And I have, like, no time to, like, answer emails, let alone to think about writing a book. And I would love to. I would do a book on Amuna. I would do a book on, on my Divinity series, which technically, you know, it's, it's you know, over here. But I, would, I have so many ideas that I would put into writing. But we have all these ideas that we don't put it into fruition. We don't actually pull through. Here you have somebody that had an idea and he worked hard on it hours upon hours upon hours that he worked and corresponded with people. And uh, regarding somebody who asked to have the number again, yes, it's 201-878-4238. And I'll even post it in the, you know, in the chat. Um, I'll post, I'll post the number and I'll post the email, assuming that I'm able to get this written down. And now we're going to get into the spirit of Purim. Uh, don't you just love this holiday? This is like a yum tub where everybody's just like, I don't know who could be upset on Perm. Like, there's like, I don't know if that's, I mean, you know, I guess it's always possible, but like, it's such an awesome yum tub. Okay. When we come to Perm, I always like, I don't always get to, but I always like touching upon the idea of, of Simcha, of happiness. Uh, we know Mishinichnas Adar Marben Besimcha. We know the importance of happiness. And in fact, just to recap, I know we spoke about this before, but just to recap the, the importance of happiness, even, even better yet, I saw, I saw a study that had uh, the importance of being optimistic. So you know you have the pessimists and you have the optimists. You have the people that always look at the positive, you have the people that always look at the negative. The people that always look at the positive, there was like a whole slew of positive things, like reducing cancer. Reduction in infection. Yeah, you have a, you know, reduced heart disease. You have a reduction in respiratory diseases. You have a longer lifespan. You have lower blood pressure, better stress management, better, you know, improved immunity, lower rates of depression, more creativity. This is not even health. This is just like your own mindset. Greater problem solving skills, clearer thinking, better mood, better coping skills. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And that's really why the, you know, the pursuit of happiness is so big in, you know, in the world. We're all chasing happiness. We're all chasing that contentment, that desire to be satisfied, the desire to be happy, the desire to, to just like reach that level of like, okay, like that level where you're just like, 
Baruch Hashem, even though you should say that in any level, but you know what I'm talking about, that, that real level of contentment. Now, the idea of, of happiness is, is that we tend to forget, and this is really where I want to focus on, I really want to focus on today the power of the mind, the power of, of how much our mind has over our well-being. You know, we, we know this, but we tend to forget how powerful it is. Our mind controls our mood. Whether you're angry, whether you're sad, whether you're happy, whether you're helpless, doesn't matter your mood, that all originates from your mind. You have some people that are in bad situations and they work on themselves and they're able to stay positive. And on the flip side, you have people that didn't work on themselves and the situation is great, but yet they always look at the negative. They always look at the bad. Our mind controls our outlook. Not only does our mind control our mood, but it also controls our outlook, meaning that if you go and you see somebody else getting something, uh, whatever it is, it can either make you happy, or on the flip side, it can make you jealous. So what is that differentiation? How do you, how do you decide, uh, that's a bad word, how do you come to a conclusion of being happy versus coming to a conclusion of being jealous? And the answer is, it's all in your mindset. It's all in your outlook. It's all in how you see things. So, when you realize that everything is in your mind, even the aspect of jealousy, and I want to uh, really the, the 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 topic of jealousy was just to touch upon to realize on how powerful our mind is. So when we look at the Gemara in Sota, page nine eight. It says Tanarabana. The Rabbanan, the rabbis taught Sota. Sota is a, is a, just whoever is not familiar is a uh, a woman that was suspected of being unfaithful to her husband. So if you have this woman. And what happened was is that Nasna, the Gemara goes and says, Nasna Eina Bemisha Eina Rayola. She went and she looked at something. She placed her eyes on something that was unfit for her, not for her. Now what happens? Ma Shibiksha Whatever she looked at, whatever she desired, that was not giving it to her. Meaning, let's say she went and they had a woman that was unfaithful and she looked at somebody that was not her husband. And let's say she did a certain sin with him. That person is forbidden from marrying her. Even after they get divorced, they're not allowed to get married. This, uh, you know, her and the adulterer, the adulterer, yeah. Her. So whatever she wanted to get, it, she she couldn't get. And whatever she already had, meaning her husband, we were taken away from her. Meaning that now that she was unfaithful, she has to get divorced. So you have over here an unfaithful woman that she looked and she desired something that was somebody else. And let's say she fell into that and she, she went and she was unfaithful. So she loses her what she desired, meaning that she can't marry the guy. Halakhli, she's not allowed to marry the guy that she was unfaithful with. And not only can she not get what she wanted, she also loses what she had. She has to get divorced from her husband. And the Gemara goes on that and, and explains and says, If somebody goes and puts his eyes on something that does not belong to him, that does not deserve to be his, Whatever his heart desires, whatever his eyes desires, he doesn't get that. And whatever he already has, they take away from him. Here we see the powerful, the power of jealousy that you not only, you don't get what you are jealous for, but you also lose what you had. The Gebarah goes on and, it, and, and brings on a few examples of downfalls of people that, is, that were jealous. And the, the first example is the Nachash, the snake. The snake was the king of the animals when it was first created. 
It was supposed to be the top of the world. But what happened? The snake wasn't satisfied with what he had. He desired Chava. He wanted to be with Chava. So he wanted to go and get Chava to give to Adam Harishon the, the, I was gonna say the apple, even though it's not an apple. Oh my gosh. Secular world is creeping in. He, she, he, the snake wanted to give, to get Chava, to give for Adam Harishon from the Eitz Adas. And because of that, Adam would now die. And now Chava will be able to be together with the snake. But what happened was, now the snake desired Chava, he was jealous of, of, of Adam, he wanted Chava, so not only did he not get Chava, he also lost what he had, he was the king of the animals, then he went from being the king to be the bottom, now he slid down on the floor, on the floor. nobody, everybody is, is not only terrified, everybody's disgusted with, uh, you know, with the snake. And the Gemara goes on and gives numerous other examples of people in this category. You have Cain. He wanted to inherit the whole world. Unfortunately, he lost everything. You have Korach. He wanted the, the priesthood. He wanted the kuna. You have Bilam. He desired Balak's money. You have Achitaifal. He wanted, he was jealous of, of Davra Melech. You have Avshalom. He wanted the kingdom. Uziah. He wanted to be the kind Gadol. Uh, Haman. He wanted to kill the Jews. And this is where we're going to go and we're going to speak about. You have Haman. He wanted to kill. He had everything and he lost everything. Now the, the, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avis goes and says that Hakina you have kina, you have je- like jealousy, taiva, lust, and covered honor that removes a person from this world. So the question is, which world are we referring to? Are we referring to this world or referring to the next world? So the Mepharshim will go and explain, well, it's obviously not the next world. We know the next world. If you do an ascent, it obviously removes you from the next, it removes you from part of the next world. Rather, what the Mishnah is telling us, that if somebody who has jealousy, desire, or, you know, this lust for honor, it removes himself from this world. Meaning that if you're a jealous person, you lose what you have in this world. You lose in this world. Now, if we stop for a second and we think that where does all this start? All this starts with the mind. Look at how powerful our mind is. And look at Haman, for, for example. Haman could have just moved on with his life, but he wouldn't let go. And we'll soon see what he didn't let go. He wouldn't let go. There was like one person who didn't bow down to him, and everything else became worthless to him. As it says in Esther chapter 5, verse, verse 13. Haman goes and he says, all this is not worth it to me. You know what all this is? He had money. He had fame. He had power, he had prestige, he had children, he had, he had like everything. You, you know when you have people that desire something in this world? He had it all. He had everything. And you know what he said? All this is worthless to me. What's worthless to him? Why? Because one person, and he goes on and says, Why? Why is it? Because I see Mordechai. Like I've gotten everything. Like every. Literally, everything a person desires in the physical world, Haman had. He got everything. But it was all worth, it wasn't say like, oh, it bothered him. It was worthless unless he didn't have that one thing. That because Mordechai didn't bow down to him, all that was worthless to him. You see like his obsession? He lost everything because of his obsession. When we think about jealousy, we think about the root of jealousy. The main root of jealousy is pride. How come he has that and I don't? Or I want something that he doesn't have. Or I want something that I don't have yet and I deserve it. How come I don't have it? You have, you know, you ever hear people argue? Obviously, we're not talking about us. We're talking about other people. You know, my friend asked me this question. You know, like you have people that argue and it's a trivial thing. But then they say something that like changes it all around. They use that key golden word to change that argument amount. You're like, why are you arguing about such a stupid little thing? 
They're like, no, it's the principle. I'm like, oh, the principle. So all of a sudden, when it's the principle, it makes everything okay. Because we're not arguing anymore about a 50 cent error of the cashier made that, oh, you know, she gave me 50 cent less and I have to go wait online for another hour and a half to go and get it. It's not about the 50 cents, Rabbi. It's about the principle. It's not about what my spouse said. It's about the principle of it. You know, like someone cuts you off. And, you know, I always use this, as, you know, this road rage as an example because I think it's a fabulous example. Someone cuts you off. God forbid, especially if you live in New York. What happened? It's like, okay, now it's on, like Donkey Kong. That's it. You know, like you will chase this person. He literally took away less than a second of your life or she or whatever it was. Took away less than a second of your life. But it's worth it to chase them for two miles. Flash them, honk them, do whatever it is. Scream at them. Wave some nice fingers at them or a single finger at them. And then you'll go and pull over and you will take out your bat and then the police comes. Why? All because... They cut you off. And you, do you realize, I, I looked at a, a study on this, one in three collisions, one in three accidents involves road rage. Isn't that crazy? In 2021, every 18 hours on average, there's either been someone been shot, injured, or killed in a road rage incident. And what is it for? Like, if you think about it, it's not about the fact that they cut you off and now you missed your appointment. When somebody goes and cuts you off, usually they're faster than you, so they're going fast. And it's not about time. It's, it's, it's about really, I don't know, pride, like my lane, it belongs to me. How dare you come in? And when you ask them and you confront them, like, why did you do that? They're like, no, 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 no. It's not about him cutting off. It's about the principle. It's the principle of the matter. You know, yeah, so you will murder somebody on the principle of the matter. You will get so angry and ruin your day on the principle. This key word, the principle. I'm not talking about a high school principle, which is also a key word. But I'm talking about the principle of where we justify acting like a two-year-old. Instead of letting go, instead of going and putting a switch on mind and be like, okay, fine, like forget about it. We go and we decide that we're going to ruin our entire day off what? Off the principle. And it's, a, it's an excuse telling us, you know, that it's okay. So what if, I'm just proposing, you know, if I may, what if instead of feeding to our negativity, we switch it around and instead of saying it's just the principle and saying it's okay for us getting upset about this, but instead saying, no, you know what? It's not okay. There's no reason to get upset about such a trivial matter, something that doesn't matter. And you know what happens when we do that little, little switch in our mind? We just change our lanes in our mind. We don't get upset. All of a sudden, we're a happier person. We're a calm person. We're not jealous. We're not angry. We're not sad. We're not upset. And we see over here, we have the power to overcome so much in our life, making our, our life so much better, and it's all in our mindset. I want to take you on a little background journey into a part of the story of the Megillah. And I'm sure most of you know this, but bear with me. And we're going to go through the story, then we're going to focus, and we're going to analyze it a little bit. So stay with me for the next few minutes. We'll go through a little bit of a journey on the story of Megillah's Esther. So we know the Jews were decreed to be destroyed. All Jews. Everybody. Now, Mordechai goes over to Esther. And you're talking about between five and nine years, depending on the opinion, that she was married to Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus does not know that she's Jewish. 
And Mordechai goes over to Esther and says, it's time for you to intervene and save the Jewish people. Haman made a decree to kill all the entire Jewish nation. Now it's time for you to step up and save the Jewish nation. Now what does Esther do? Esther goes and makes a party for the two people that desire to go and kill the Jewish nation. She makes a party for Haman and Ahasuerus. And the puzzle goes and says in Esther chapter 5 verse 4, it says, after Esther came into Ahasuerus, she said, Esther, what do you want? She says, Let the king, Ahasuerus, and Haman come today to a party that I'm going to make. Now, you realize this, you have the Jewish people, that they knew they had an inn in the, in the palace. And they got a decree that the entire Jewish nation is going to be destroyed, going to be killed, going to be annihilated in a single day. And they're like, okay, we know it's bad, but we got a secret thing in our back pocket. I mean, nobody knows this. I mean, we know this. But the queen is Jewish. Like, she's going to stand up for us. And you know what happens? And then, before they know it, all of a sudden, she goes and invites the enemy to a party. And the Jewish people are like, what happened to our savior? What, like, did she switch sides? Like, all of a sudden, like, it's, it's done. Like, their secret power, their secret weapon is gone. And they go to the party. Haman and Achashverosh go to this party. And Achashverosh goes over to Esther and says, what do you want? I'll give you until half the kingdom. The Gemara Megillah, page 15b, goes as, what does it mean up to half the kingdom? He says, I'll give you everything except rebuilding the Beit HaMikdash. That I'm not doing. Now, Achshosh did not know that she was Jewish at this point. But he had such a hatred to the Jews that he went and he says, I'll give you anything except for building up the Beit HaMikdash. So now, instead of Esther going and be like, hey, by the way, I'm Jewish, save my, save my uh, you know, brothers and sisters, she goes and says, I want to invite you, I want to invite Haman and you to another party. And fine, the party comes to a conclusion. Now, when Haman leaves this party, Haman is on top of the world. He's like, I've got everything. Well, except one thing, but I got everything. I got, like, the power. I got the prestige. I got the fame. I got the money. The king loves me. Now, the queen loves me. Like, I didn't even know this. Like, the queen, just me. I'm the sole VIP. There is a private Valentine's Day between her and the king. And then, like, I am the third wheel on that. Like, she obviously, you know how, you know, men's mind, they start, uh, you know, working. You know, she's got a thing for me. Like, I, why else? Like, he's on top. He's like, everybody loves me. Haman is at his peak. He's, he's at the top of the top. And he's working, walking out of this party on the top of the world. And all of a sudden, he sees Mordechai. And Mordechai didn't bow down to him, as was custom for all the people that saw Haman would bow down. Mordechai didn't bow down. All of a sudden, his ego takes this huge blow. And he decides that he's going to kill Mordechai. So we know the story. He goes home and makes this, you know, meeting with his family. His family, you know, he decides he's going to make huge gallows. This, like, gallows enough that he would be able to hang Haman from. I'm sorry, he would be able to hang Mordechai. Spoiler alert. Woo. He would be able to hang Mordechai from. And he would be able to see Mordechai from the king's palace. So he built this huge 50 cubit high you know, like like hanging tower. To that Mordechai would be able to, to, to be hung there and he would swing while he would be sitting at the next party by Esther and he would be able to enjoy his wine with such enjoyment of seeing Mordechai swing, uh, you know, in, to his death. Now, after he went and he built these gallows, 
he wanted, he decided he's going to go see Mordechai one last time. And he goes to see what Mordechai is up to, what Mordechai is doing. And he sees that Mordechai is sitting in a sack, sackcloth, and he's teaching a huge number of children. And Amlaus goes and says there was 22,000 children that Mordechai was teaching. He was teaching Torah. And Haman gets so angry, so upset, that he summoned his officers, his men, and he, decided, and he said, take all these children, these little children that were learning with Mordechai, lock them up in chains, and his goal was to kill these children before he killed Mordechai. Now realize that all the Jews were supposed to die already. There was the creed. Now Haman wanted to kill Mordechai earlier, but he wanted to kill these 22,000 children before Mordechai, so Mordechai would have that extra pain. Now the news spread all over about these children. The parents heard about it. These children were fasting at this point in time, as Esther, you know, asked them to, to fast and go to, you know, to, to Davin Takadish Barhum. The children were fasting, so the parents realized that the children are going to be, you know, are, are set to be killed the next day. So they decided, they let, me, let us bring food to the children. And they said, at least you eat, at least, you, you know, realizing that they're going to die, Al-Kiddush Hashem, but at least you'll make it there. You're fasting for so long, you're a children, how long are you going to last? Eat something. The children refused, says, no, we're not fasting. For we're meant to die, we're going to die fasting. This is the scene that's taking place the night after, the night of after Esther's party. Meaning from the Jewish perspective, everything is looking really, really gloomy. That night, Ahasuerus couldn't sleep. Like thoughts start racing through his mind. He was a man, and he's like started thinking, like, why is Esther inviting Haman to a party? This makes no sense. Like, what's going on? Is there something going on? He says, and then his mind starts racing. And he's like, maybe there's a plot to assassinate me. Maybe there's a plot to take over the kingdom. But he's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Why would anybody want to go and take over the kingdom? Everybody knows that if some if if anybody figures out that there's a plot to assassinate the king and you let the king know, there's a huge reward. And all of a sudden he's thinking, he's like, wait a minute. He says, but maybe something happened once that there was a plot to assassinate the king. Somebody came forward and he didn't get the reward. So he calls over, he says, let me read the book of Zechariah. Ahasuerus wrote down, or as scribes wrote down, as scribes, by the way, were the sons of Haman. They wrote down everything that happened to the king and, and if there was paid back. And they're, re- they're reading over to, to Ahasuerus and they come to a point where Mordechai saved the king's life and no reward was given to him. So this is where, 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 where Ahasuerus now decides now he needs to reward Mordechai because he's nervous that something's brewing in the palace. So, when we look at where Mordechai versus Haman stand, Haman is on the top right now. Mordechai is on the bottom. Mordechai doesn't know that Ahasuerus is about to go and reward him. Now, at this point, Haman goes and he builds his gallows and he decides he's going to go to the king and he's going to ask him for permission to go and hang Mordechai. This is early, early in the morning. And Haman is hanging out in front of Ahasuerus's, uh his bedroom. And Ahasuerus hears him and he says, you know, come in. And Haman comes in. And before Haman has the ability to go and say anything, Ahasuerus goes and says, what should the king do if he wants to honor the king, if he wants to honor somebody? So Haman, because his ego is way through the clouds, he's like, who else other than me? 
And he says, you know what you should do? Is you should go and you should, you know, dress him in the royal clothes, give him the crown that you are coronated with, give him the, the horse that you rode on in your coronation when you became king, and you should have important people going and running and screaming outside, This is what should be done for somebody who the king goes and the king wishes to honor. And the king listens, Yachashverus uh, listens to him, and he says, okay. He says, I hear what you're saying, it's a good idea. Okay. And then Yachashverus goes, and there's a huge plot twist. Yachashverus goes over to Haman and says, go do this to Mordechai. And all of a sudden, Haman gets like this punch in the face that just knocks him out unconscious. He's like, he's like, he's like, you know, like, wait, what? He's like, what do you mean? Like, what do you say? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to go and take Mordechai, not through the side streets. I want you to take him to the main streets. Everything like you just said. And Ahasuerus goes on and says, don't, you know, don't tell me, oh, Mordechai is just a commoner, a simple person. He's an important official. He was raised to important official. Esther appointed him as, a, as an official. He's an advisor to the king. And Haman, at this point, is trying to get out of it. So he's like, Mordechai? Like, I... Huh, I wish, who is this Mordechai? I have no idea what you're talking Mordechai, hmm, I don't know who you're talking about. And Nachashverus goes and says, no, you know, Mordechai, Mordechai the Yid. By the way, if you want to see this, this is so enjoyable to read. If you want to go look at the man laws and how this, this uh, back and forth comes in. And, and Nachashverus goes, no, it's, uh, it's Mordechai the Jew. He says, listen, Mordechai is a popular Jewish name, Haman goes. It says, there's many Mordechais. And besides the fact, you know, you know my dear King Nachashverus, you know, if he's a Jew... Remember, I paid you 10,000 you know, silver you know, loaves. I, I, the Jews belong to me. And Nachashverus says, you know very well which Mordechai I'm referring to. And he says, yes, I did sell you all the Jews. But you think I'm going to sell you my own advisors? This is Mordechai. He's my advisor. I'm not telling you that. Go and do as you said. And Haman is now trying to push it off. He's like, wait a minute. He's like, he's like uh, you know, my dear king. He says, if you want to reward him, give him a city. Give him a profit. Give him something, you know, a profitable business, something, you know, like he's a poor guy. That will make him happy. And Ahasuerus goes to him and says, Come on, I'm listening to everything that you said. Look how much I enjoy and I appreciate your advice. You told me this is what I should do. This is what I'm doing. So Haman goes and he breaks down. At this point, his mindset, and this is what I want you to focus on, his mindset switches. And he begs Ahasuerus. He says, don't humiliate me. He says, I confess to everything. He's like, Mordechai, this guy, he's my arch enemy. Like, I came here because I built gallows in my yard to go and kill him. I wanted to murder him. I came for you for permission to kill him. He says, and not only that, you're placing him higher than me now? And Akashver says, you're going to try to delay whatever it is that you want to do. He says, you're going to get it done. And, and Haman's like, listen, you know, I don't know where he is, where he's located, which gate he's sitting by. And Akashvara says, if you want, I'll give you directions. Here's my GPS system. I'll give you exactly where to go. And Haman goes and says, listen. He says, please, anything but this, anything. Even, I'll give him the 10,000 loaves of silver that I, prom- that I gave you. Let me give him that. Instead of doing this. Akashvara says, you want to give him money? Not a problem, give him money. From the word on the street is, I hear that you once sold him as a slave. Whoever knows what I'm talking about, good. If ever not, listen to this series that we spoke about years ago about the hidden story of, of Purim. And he goes, Ahasuerus goes and says, whatever is going to happen, you're not getting out of this. You're going to do it. And Haman tries, you know, another tactic. He's like, listen, he's like, Ahasuerus, 
don't let me do this. Please, don't make me. He says, my sons, they're important government officials. Let them go run ahead of Mordechai and let the, they will do it. Don't, don't put me. Ahasuerus goes, says, you, your wife, your children, everybody's going to walk in front. Everybody's going to do exactly what you said. And he goes, and Haman tries one final tactic. And he says, listen, Ahasuerus, you know, I sent letters throughout the entire world to kill the Jews. You want to reward Mordechai? You want to give him the greatest reward? Nullify that decree. He, there is nothing greater than saving his Jewish brothers and sisters that's going to give him the reward. And I'll do that. I will personally send out to, to recant that decree. There will be no more murdering of the Jews. Just don't humiliate me like this. And Ahasuerus goes and says, you no longer have power over the Jews. Ahasuerus took him from all the way up here to all the way on the bottom. And Ahasuerus goes and says, you know, a while back, there were two people by the name of Bixan and Sarish. They wanted to go and murder me. And Mordechai saved me by telling us the plan. And if my memory serves me correctly, you did everything in your power to go and save them. And Ahasuerus goes and says, you tried to save the people that wanted to assassinate me. And Mordechai went and saved me from the people that wanted to kill me. He says, you're going to do exactly what you said and everything that you had before, you have no more power. And he goes and says, stop with the dramatics, just go and do what I said. This is the part of the story that I wanted to speak about. And I want, let's try to go and analyze this. Now let's try to analyze this from two perspectives. From the Jewish perspective, from Mordechai's perspective, and from Haman's perspective. When everything looked like it was going so bad, everything was so bleak, it was so bad for the Jewish people, where was the lowest point? The lowest point is when Esther invited Haman to the party. As we said in Esther, chapter 5, verse 4, and it says, Let the king and Haman come today to the party that I'm going to make. This is where the Jews felt that it was done it was over. There was nothing to talk about anymore. And they thought that it was gone. But meanwhile, when you realize it, this is the point where, hum, where Ahasuerus couldn't fall asleep. He's like, what's going on? Why is it that Esther is going and inviting my prime minister, my second in command to the party? Something's going on. Meanwhile, this is the point where the Jews felt was the worst point. This is really the turning point of the entire story of where it went beneficial for the Yidin. And furthermore, listen to something so fascinating, so amazing. If you take the letters of Yavai HaMelech V'Haman Hayayim, you take the first letter of each of these words, Yavai is Yud, HaMelech is the Hay, V'Haman is the Vav, Hayayim is another Hay. What does it spell out? Yud Hay and Vav Hay. It's God's name for mercy. When everything looked so bad, that's when Hashem's mercy was shining the strongest. And what happened? Listen to how the story goes on. Let's try to analyze this a little bit more. The Gemara Megillah, page 16a, goes and says, when Haman now had to go and get Mordechai and bring him through the streets and announce that this is what the king wants, this is who the king desires to honor. Haman goes and approaches Mordechai. At this point, the children are locked up, ready to be sent to death. And Mordechai is sitting over there, and what was he doing? He was learning Torah with his students. It was, at this point, it was the second day of Pesach, 
and they were learning the laws of the Karban Ha'aymer. Karban Ha'aymer, actually Haman actually asked, what, the, what are they discussing over here? Like how, Haman was like, how is he learning? At this point, Mordechai didn't know what happened in the palace. Mordechai didn't know that the whole thing switched upside down. From Mordechai's perspective, the decree still stood. Mordechai was still supposed to be hung, and uh, you know all the 22,000 children were still supposed to be killed that day. And he was sitting and he was learning about the carbon armor. Says Haman, what, what's this carbon armor? And the Gemara goes and explains, you know, says they explain to Haman, says it's a handful of barley that's offered as a carbon, it's offered as a sacrifice in the base of Megdash. Haman goes and responds, your handful of barley pushed away my 10,000 kikar kesef, my 10,000 loaves of silver. And Haman realized something. Then instead of begging and pleading with Haman for mercy, Mordechai was sitting and learning. And what was he learning about? He was learning about the service in the Beis Amikdash. The Beis Amikdash was destroyed for almost 70 years at this point. The Jews were so sure that they would survive, that not only they realized they would survive, they realized and they believed that they would return to Eretz Yisrael, and they would once again serve in the Beis Amikdash. And Haman came to a realization that if these Jews are so positive in their belief in salvation, they will surely prevail. And indeed, that's what happened. Haman was, ended up getting killed that very day. Ahasuerus died a few years later. And these young Kohanim who have been learning with Mordechai actually lived and served in the base of Megdash. Look at the power of the mindset. The power of not giving up. Let's take it a little bit further. Mordechai was being, you know, was told now by Haman that he's going to be led through the city in royal horse, in the royal garment, and all the royal, you know, attire. The problem was, he was fasting, he was in a sackcloth, he hasn't taken a haircut in a really long time. He says, I can't just go like this. And Esther played a tactic. A tactic to destroy Haman's mindset. Esther went and closed all the barber shops in the entire town. Haman used to be a barber. And Esther was trying to take Haman from being all the way up here to bring him all the way down there. He was on top of the world. Now he's going to do like a regular job. And now Haman went and had to take out his barber kit and he had to start going and he has to start cutting Mordechai's hair. Meaning that Esther was trying to get Haman in a negative frame of mind. Because that's what's going to fuel his downfall. And Haman went and he had to, you know, cut the hair. And not only that, he was walking through the city. And his daughter saw him. But he, she thought that he was riding on the horse, not the one leading. And in the olden days, they used to go to the bath. There wasn't, you know, running water in the houses. They, the, the bathroom used to be, in the nicest way possible, a bucket. So she took the bathroom bucket that made sure that it was full and she wanted to throw it on Mordechai's head. But she didn't realize that instead of throwing it on Mordechai's head, she threw it at Haman's head. And when Haman looked up and saw that it was his daughter and his daughter looked down and saw that it was her father, she, did, she went and she committed suicide. She jumped, off the, she jumped off the roof and she went and she killed herself. And now Haman came from being on the top of the world in just a mere few hours, to going on the mere bottom, 
to the bottom. And in fact, his wife caught this on. His wife said, once you start falling, nafal tipal afadav. Once you start falling, you're going to fall before Mordechai. There's no way out. The, the, the Rabbeinu Yana goes and says on Apostle of Mishlei, chapter 29, verse 2. It says that when someone thinks bad will happen, he can create that stumbling block, that bad to happen to himself. In contrast, if you think positively, you can actually eliminate that difficulty. Isn't that crazy on the power of the mind? You have Mordechai over here that never stopped thinking positive. He told Esther, if you're not going to go this, Esther, I believe it's uh, the fourth chapter, the 14th verse. And he goes over to Esther, and he says that, if you're going to go, and you're going to withstand from this, there's going to be a salvation. The Jewish people are going to be saved. Mordechai was so sure that the Jewish people are going to be saved. His mind was always in the positive frame thought. It was always in the positive mindset. Haman, once he started falling, he couldn't stop. His mindset switched and he went to the negative mindset and he was done. The Tzemach Tzedek, lived from 1789 to 1866, once was asked to pray for somebody who was sick. You know what he responded? He responded in Yiddish, Tracht gut, sein gut. Translation, think good and it will be good. Meaning this is somebody who was sick the Tzemach Tzadik goes and says, if you just think good, it will be good. Be positive. Positive has such a powerful impact on our lives. Rabbi Yonah goes and says, also Mishlei, that in times of tragedy, one should never give up hope. One should always realize that Yeshua Sashem Ke'eref Ayin, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's salvation comes in a blink of an eye. Mordechai never gave up hope. Whenever they seemed so bad that it was looked like there was no hope, Mordechai did. He was calm and he was collected. He was he was sitting and he was learning and he was teaching Torah. Haman, on the other hand, once he stopped started falling, he couldn't stop. And even his wife said, "Nafal tipal lefanav, you're done." We don't realize the power of our mindset. We don't realize how powerful our positive mindset, our positive attitude, can be. In the secular world, in philosophy, there's something called the law of attraction. The law of attraction simply is that if you bring, if you have positive thoughts, that would result in positive actions in a person's life. If you have negative thoughts, it would bring negative outcomes. And in the secular world, they, they explain this as a form of energy. Obviously, this is taken fully from the Torah, but they take it as a form of energy. But in short, what you focus on is what you attract. And in fact, there was a psychologist by the name of Carol Dweck that went and found that people with a growth mindset, that is people who, have the abil- who believe in their ability to change and learn new things, accomplish a higher grade point average than people with a fixed mindset. Meaning the people that are a little bit of dreamers, the people that are on more on the positive side are able to accomplish a lot more than the pessimists. If you believe that you are capable of achieving your dreams, then guess what? You're going to be inspired to pursue your dreams. But if you believe that you're incapable, then there's, no, there's, there's going to be no, no drive to inspire you to do anything. Because I can't do it. I, I can't accomplish it. 
we forget how powerful our mindset is. If we change our outlook, we can change our outcome. Now, I want to focus on the last part of this, on the idea of positive thinking and practical things on how do we focus on positive thinking. So I want to go through seven steps on positive thinkings. So number one, these are practical steps. I would recommend people for, to write this down and really to focus on this. Number one, number one is to identify negative thoughts. You have to realize you have negative thoughts and you have to identify those. And when you identify those thoughts, you have to replace those with positive ones. You know, our mindset governs how we feel. If your mindset is poor, then everything around you seems bad. If you think about it, depressed people, I, you know, I had a fair share of, you know, speaking to people that were unfortunately suffering from, from depression or depressed, you know, situations. I found that very often they're angry and upset and upset at other people. They're just upset. Their mindset is poor and their outlook, everything, all of a sudden becomes poor. Now you have to figure out, you have to stop and think about what's your, fo- what do you focus on? Now imagine the scenario. You're in an airport and there's a delay. And because you get delayed, the airline decides they're going to give you a free ticket anywhere you want. You get a free ticket out of that delay. And imagine you're sitting on the plane now, you're flying back. What do you focus on? Do you focus that 12, 14, 18 hour delay that you were sitting in the airport going crazy? Or do you focus on the fact that now you have a free ticket anywhere? So you have to realize where your focus is. Another example. And I've, this, uh, you know, when I was a little kid, this actually, I, I've seen this firsthand. It happened to, you know, me. I, I was with my parents. It was Moses Shabbos. I still remember. I was a little kid. And uh, we were driving. And somebody came from behind us and cut us off. And I remember as a little kid, the guy cut us off. Or I thought, I'm assuming it was a guy. And... He cut us off, and as he drove through the intersection, there was a car that T-boned him, that hit him, right, right, you know, like T-boned as the car hit him right on the side. And, you know, I was thinking, as a little kid, I remember thinking, like, that could have been us. That was, like, crazy. Like, that could have, if this guy wouldn't have cut us off, that could have been us, Chasel Shalom. So, when, let's say you see that type of scenario, do you focus, when you're thinking about it, do you focus about the guy who cut you off? Or do you focus on the fact that you're being grateful? Where is your focus? So we have many things that happen in our lives. And if we look back, we could see a lot of positive that comes out of that what's seemingly a negative you know, situation. Do you focus on the positive or do you focus on the negative? Where is your focus? There was a professor that came in one time to his class. And he, had, and he said it's a pop quiz, a philosophy professor. And he goes and he puts a paper down, face down, on all of his students. And then he goes, before he says, before you turn over the papers, he says, you're gonna, the, the assignment is as follows. You're going to turn over the papers, you're going to look at that paper, and I want you to describe me in writing what you see on the paper. And the professor hands out all the papers, and he says, begin. And all the students take out the papers and they flip them over. And what they see is, is they see a completely blank paper with a black dot in the paper. So you have all these philosophy students starting to, you know, writing, you know, about the position of the dot, about the, you know, the, the darkness of the dot. And they're all writing about this dot. 
After about you know, 15, 20 minutes, the professor says, you know, pencils down, and he collects all the papers. And he goes through all the papers out loud without mentioning any names. And he says, this one described the dot. This, ride, this one described the relationship to the dot, you know, to where it was in the paper. This one described the size of the dot. This one described the intensity of the dot. And he goes on, he says, everybody described the black dot. But no one, not one person in this class, wrote about the white part of the paper. I asked you to describe what you see. You all described the dot. Why didn't you describe about the other part of the paper? And he goes on and he explains and says, you know, in our life, we have so many white things, good things, happy things going on. And then suddenly we come through a darkness, a little darkness, a little glitch in our day. And our day is ruined. Our day is gone. And we focus only on that negative situation. We don't focus on the positive. We focus on what sticks out. So the first step in working on being positive, working on increasing your happiness, working on positive thinking, is to identify these negative thoughts. Identify the areas that you need to change in your life. And become more optimistic on those areas. And we have, everybody has those areas where we think negatively. Commute, you know, driving, traffic, relationships, work. We all have that, different characters. We all have that little part where we think negative. So the step number one is to focus on changing that, even a small thing, you don't have to change everything. One small negative area and change that focus into a positive. Step two. Step two is take responsibility. You ever have something bad happen to you? I don't know, broken plate, you break your computer, you didn't get the promotion, you didn't get the job that you wanted, you were dating somebody and it ended up breaking up. How do you react to those situations? Do you blame others or do you look at yourself? Do you take responsibility or do you pass the buck to something else? It's my mother's fault, it's my father's fault, it's my this fault, it's my first fault, it's my spouse's fault, everybody else except for you. And it's very interesting. You know, in, in the psychological world, in psychology, the type of thinking where you take responsibility, this gives you a deep belief in yourself. We think that it's a negative thing to take responsibility. But really, it's a positive mindset. And what happens is, this mindset allows you to get up and start over after a failure. Meaning that the second thing is take responsibility. Take responsibility also means that you realize you have the power to go and to fix it. You have the power to go and to accomplish something that you thought you didn't have or you thought that was somebody else's fault. Step number three is to avoid negative talk. The Torah tells us in Parshas Noach, in chapter 7 verse 2, when it's time for Noach to take in all the animals, it goes... And the Pasuk says, You have to take from all the pure animals, seven animals. And then the Pasuk goes on and says, From the animals that are not tar, take two. Now the questions that, that, that it gets asked in all the commentators is like, we said take from the pure animals. The flip of that will be take from the impure animals. Take from the... T- tummy animals. Why does the Torah use the words tahora 
pure. And then the words not pure. Just say impure. It's much shorter. Every letter, every word is accounts in the Torah. And the reason, the answer is, the Gemara Pesachim, page 3a, goes and says that a person should never express a crude matter. You have to be careful how you speak. We have to transform our vocabulary. Our vocabulary has an effect on us. When we describe things, we describe things in a way that maybe is not so true. Let's say there's a situation where you're terrified, and you say, oh, I was terrified. Were you? Were you really terrified? Or maybe you were just a little nervous. Were you angry? Or maybe you were a little bit annoyed. Don't say something is impossible. Maybe it's difficult. When we go and we use our, our vocabulary goes and defines what, how we feel. So if we're about to do something, we say it's impossible, all of a sudden you're telling yourself, you're telling your mindset, you're telling your outlook, I can't do this. But if you say, if you switch that, that vocabulary just a little bit, and say, you know what, my boss just gave me something that it's impossible. You know what, it's not impossible, it's difficult. But all of a sudden it became from something that you gave up to something that you could accomplish. You hear a sheer that you want to change your, that, that can really change your mindset, change your life. And you can be like, it's impossible, I can't think positive. It's not true, it's not impossible. It may be difficult, but when you use a different vocabulary, it changes your mindset. Very often we go and we predict disasters. You have one setback. You start a business and you have one problem, one setback, or you start a new job, and, you have, and all of a sudden, even if you start a day, and it's like one bad thing. Your car won't start, whatever it is. You think that's it. Your, de- your day is destined to be ruined. Your day is doomed. It's done. Don't predict disasters. Use your vocabulary wisely. Use the idea, the, the situations that you're dealt with. Try to change your outlook on them. That's number three. Number four. We have a lot of self-doubt. Very, very common to have self-doubt where you know, the, the origin of self-doubt is really rooted in fear. You are afraid to start something because maybe you're going to fail. So you have a little bit of self-doubt on it. Step number four is removing that self-doubt. And that self-doubt is so appropriate to this time because in Devarim, chapter 25, verse 18, when it speaks about a malik, it says, Asher kar that just happened to come across you on the road. Implying, what is a malik? A malik implies that everything is accidental. Everything is just like random. A malik is suffolk. A malik, actually the numerical value of a malik is suffolk, is doubt. We have to, when, when it's during this time of the year, in fact this week's parsha, this is, this is what we're going to be reading on Shabbos, we have to timcha ezeicha amalik, we have to remove a malik. What is a malik? Part of a malik is you have to remove that self-doubt with you. We all have doubts, everything in our life. Did I marry the right person? Am I in the right job? Am I, you know, am I in the right, uh, you know, is, you know, is there a God? We have all these thoughts that just pop into our head. Sometimes we have to consider those thoughts, but majority of the time, those thoughts are just bringing doubt into you. You have to remove those doubts. Marry the right person, you're in that relationship. You're there because you need to. Self-doubt on Yiddishkeit, you have to remove that self-doubt. A mullik is all about saying, maybe this, everything's just random. Maybe there's just like, it's just, just put yourself doubt. This is the time where we remove our self-doubt. Remove it from our own insecurities and remove it from everything else in our outlook in our life. That's step number four. 
Step number five is a simple one. And that is smile. Just smile more. Just, just, just do that. You know, you're in a bad mood, just, just go like this. I remember I've done this, my kids are not going to be happy that I said this, but I, you know, I had this where my kid gets in a, you know, like upset and they're, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, the situation. And I say, you're upset right now. I want you to smile. Now, as a kid, right, you're upset. You don't want to smile. So how do they smile? They're like, the, all of a sudden they forget how to smile. And it's hilarious. I do even with my little kids. And they're like, you're upset. I want you to smile. They make believe that they don't know how to smile. They're like, they show me all their teeth and they try to like, I don't know, I'm like, no, no, smile. And, and you know, you think about it, I'm like, okay, they're like, it's just like a little cute kid that just like can't figure out how to smile. The answer is no, we do that also. We're in a bad mood and we say smile. How do you smile? <laughs> you show, well, you're not at a dentist, all right? Don't show, smile, be happy. Be like, you're t- imagine... Someone's coming and taking a picture for your Instagram or whatever it is, that you're going to be putting on your social media and you're going to go over there and you're in the worst mood. You're like... And all of a sudden you have your 50 million followers that go and hang on to every single word or whatever. Maybe it's five. It doesn't matter. And all of a sudden you're like in a bad word. And all of a sudden... Oh, you all tell you know how to smile. You're like in the... Mer- and then right away... You're like, no, I have to remember. I'm bad mood. Sometimes... You ever realize this? That you go and you're in a bad mood. And then you hear something really funny and you start laughing. And then you're like, wait, no, no, I'm in a bad mood. Let me stop this right now. You know, like, don't make me laugh. And, you know, my kids, again, are not going to be having this. When my kids are in bad, I make them laugh. Like, I literally make it. And they get upset. Like, stop it. Stop it. Don't make me laugh. Like, it's not a laughing time right now. I'm really upset. I didn't do X, Y, and Z. And they, they, they can't, you know, like, they don't let themselves be happy. But the truth of the matter is, we're the same way. We don't let ourselves be happy. Like we're in a bad mood, so we're like, no. And be like, no, just stop for a second. Just switch gears. Just smile. Just be happy. You realize that next time you're in a bad mood, you could literally just be happy. Literally, you could just like, okay, well, let me be happy right now. I might be a little bit diff- more difficult than that, but like, that's the gist of it. And, and our, you know, our, our body language t- also affects us. That if you go and you're in a bad mood, you're sad, you're depressed, if you think about it, you're slumped over, you're hunched over, you know, your arms are maybe crossed, you're in a very like, you know, like stationary mindset. You're not like, your body tells you also how to act. You want to be in a better mood? Pretend you're in a better mood. Smile, stand up tall, you know, put it in a good posture, feel confident. This, this affects, and in fact, there are many self-help books and self-help people that they go and they tell you this is one of the factors they tell you they tell you you're nervous about something you don't have self-confidence pretend to be confident stand up tall you know pretend you know like have that posture of confidence if you go and you're like sulking you're like hmm I'm in a bad mood you know like I'm not happy when I have I didn't get my pudding today you know you're in a bad mood and your posture but if you pretend to be in a good mood that affects your inside so step number five is a very, very simple, yet probably the hardest thing. And that is, smile. You want to have some positive thinking. Smile more. Very, very simple. Do that little smile. Step number six. Step number six, and it's very interesting. So I was doing research on this. I was doing research in the, psycholo- in the psychology field on 
positive thinking and, and you know, this is a very, very popular uh, thing right now, mindfulness and all these, uh, you know, aspects in psychology. And I found it very interesting. In almost all cases, in almost all studies, in almost all, you know, um, I guess steps, there comes this step. Not all the other ones, you know, like some of them I, I you know, I put myself, some of them I took for, you know, from different areas. But this one I found almost across the board in everything. And that is, you want to be happy, you want to have a positive outlook, practice gratitude. Hakaras hatov. If you are able to be grateful, you will be able to be happy. And in fact, many people said, you know what you should do? Have a gratitude journal. Dear diary, I am grateful because of X, Y, and Z. That's what you should be writing. You know, Ahasuerus had a Sefer Zechrenus. He had, a, a, you know, I don't want to call it a diary, uh, but in a sense, if someone did him a favor, he wrote it down. He had that, he, he literally wrote it down. He had a diary. And in his diary, he didn't write what most people wrote. Dear diary, Haman was so mean to me today. He went and he didn't look at me in that right way. And this, and then this, right? And I couldn't find this. And then, no, instead of focus, what, again, I've never read a diary, Baruch Hashem, I've never read a diary. But if you think about it, what do most diaries focus on? Do they focus on the positive or do they focus on the negative? And I'm not saying that it's wrong to write the negative. It's a good type of therapy. It's, it really is. But ha- imagine having a journal and saying, now it's easy. Take a document on your smartphone, if you have it, right? I mean, depending on where you're holding, right? So if you have a smartphone, I mean, then you're able to go and you're able to go and simply write, oh, you know, like, I'm thankful to Hashem that I uh, didn't get an accident today. I am thankful to Hashem I was able to go on a, uh, I don't know, vacation. I got a new job. I got a new apartment. I got a new house. I got a new car. Keep Focus on the gratitude. That will change your outlook, your mindset in your life. And finally, the seventh thing is to check yourself. Meaning that periodically during the day, stop and evaluate. How is my mindset? Is my mindset something on the negative? Or is my mindset something on the positive? So let's do a quick recap on these seven things. Number one, you have to identify the negative. Everybody has negative. And we have to replace those with positive. How do we go and identify the negative and replace it with this positive? And that is how you, what, what do you focus on? You had something bad happen and there was a good outcome. Do you focus on the negative or do you focus on the, on the, on the positive? So change your focus, change your outlook. Number two, take responsibility. If something bad happened, whatever it is, take responsibility of it. Take responsibility. You made a mistake. This is also tshuva, by the way. This also goes in the spiritual world. You did something wrong. Take responsibility. Do tshuva on it. Take responsibility. And realize that you have the power, the ability to go and overcome it. Number three, avoid the negative self-talk. Avoid this negative aspect that I can't do, I can't, you know, like, you know, like, no. Focus on more on the positive. Don't say it's impossible. Say it's just difficult. Step number four, remove your self-doubt. Remove the fact that you feel like you cannot accomplish or you cannot do anything. Step number five. Smile more. Take it into physical action. Have a better posture. Have a feel more confident. Whatever it is, be more positive in your physical body language. Step number six, gratitude. Focus on gratitude. Step number seven is to check yourself once a, once a day. How is my outlook? How am I holding in my life? 
last week we spoke about, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to upload that class until probably, I don't know when we're going to be able to upload that class of gratitude, but we spoke about that app, that app that we, did, that we spoke about to go and give you a reminder every single day about doing certain things. This is one thing that I, you know, that I sent over to the person that's, you know, started working. I don't know if she wants to be named out. That a person that, I don't know if she's here today, actually. She, um, no, I don't see her here yet. Maybe she has a different name. But, um, oh, no, I don't, actually, no, never mind. I do see her here. So you, if you have, you know, like a, a reminder once a day to be like, how's your outlook today? Has it been positive or has it been negative? Are you feeling more on the positive side? Are you feeling more on the optimistic side or more on the negative side? Thinking positively, this positive thinking, it's like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it will become. We, oh, thank you very much. Oh, wow. Okay, that's good. Thank you, Naomi, for posting that. Whoever wants, it's in the chat box, all the steps. When... One of the things that we learned from the Purim story, and this will conclude with this, is how important it is to be positive. You want to be happy. It all starts in the mind. Everything is in your mind. Everything is in your mind. So you want to be happy? Work on thinking happy. Work on thinking positive. Remove the negative. The story of the Megillah occurred during the time of Hester Panin, meaning that the Jews were banished from Eretz Israel. They were sent far away. But when you look at the story of the Megillah, you see all the protection, all the miracles that are happening behind the scenes. You see when the lowest part, the lowest part of the Jewish aspect is when Haman got invited to that party, that's when everything changed around. You know where the joy of Purim is? Is we realize that even in our lowest points, the acronym Yud Hey Vav and Hey, the attribute of mercy. When things look the lowest point in our life, that is when Hashem is showing His greatest mercy. You know how to be happy. It's very easy to be happy when your things are going easy and it's going great for you. But Purim teaches us that even in the darkest of times, and even when everything looks bleak and everything looks bad and everything looks like it's for destruction and everything looks like it's over with. That's when the story is changing. And that's where all of a sudden everything changes. And that's where Akadish Baruch Hu is using his attribute of mercy, the Yudke Vavke, the attribute of mercy that's coming in there and it's taking over and it's changing the entire story. Purim is a time when we realize is Mishnichnas Adar Marben Besimcha. And this is how Rabbi Yona goes and says that even in times of tragedy, one should never give up hope. Because we realize that Yeshua Hashem Ke'erif Ayin, the salvation of an eye, the salvation of a Baruch will come in a blink of an eye, just like that. And I can't tell you how important this idea is to think positive. It will change your life. This is something that is a shear that's more on the practical side, not like not the shears are not, but this is something that is something that you can really take away. And you can really change your life on it. You can be happy, more productive, a more successful person if you take these steps. Guaranteed. Guaranteed if you work on these steps, it will change your life. So let us come into this parim. Changing one thing. And that is our mind. 
change your mind to not focus on the negativity, but focus on the positivity. And with that, we'll have that positive mindset. And when we have that positive mindset, we will give us that blessing, that bracha that comes. That bracha as the tzemach that goes and says that when you think good, it will be good. Tracht gut, wenn sein gut. And now we'll open up to any questions. No, look at that. No questions. All right. Amazing. I want to thank you all for joining. And I want to thank you all for the future work that you're going to do on yourself. This past, I want to give you one idea, one thought. This past Shabbos, was a, um, I was in a uh, um, Shabbaton, a seminary Shabbaton, and I gave a talk on um, inspiration. And I go over and I said, after the talk, I said, there's 15% of people in this room are going to go and they're going to take what I said and they're going to put into, into fruition and put into action. 15%. And one girl goes and raises her, uh, raises her hand and said, she says, okay, well, now that you said it was only 15%, now more people are going to want to be in that 15%. Because what happens is that, you know, you hear inspiring class, right? How many people change your life from it? I said 15%. But now they said, oh, now that you told us 15%, now everybody's going to change. But I was thinking about that. I'm like, that's not true. Because even right now, let's say you'd be like, okay, fine, you know what? I'm going to change on that. You're like, that's a good idea. I'm going to be part of that 15%. Watch what happens. Not by tomorrow. Watch what happens within a half hour. Watch what happens within five minutes of you logging off. You want to change? Put something in your calendar for tomorrow. Think positive. Alarm for tomorrow at noon. Think positive. Do something different. That's how you're going to know if you're going to be in part of that 15% or part of that 85% that does absolutely nothing with all the inspiration, everything that they realize that they have the ability to go and change their lives. With that, I wish you a freilichen parim, a happy parim, a successful parim, and the most simcha that you could ever gather during this holiday may take you not only in this Yom Tov, but it may take you out the entire year until next year, which really until Mashiach comes. Thank you all for joining and a good night. More like a realist, not like, not a pessimist. I don't think everyone's like that hostile. But like, I feel like maybe being positive all the time can like maybe like shield you from like the reality of like life and life expectations. Right, so you're saying what you're saying is that if you have, if you think too positive, you're gonna, you're not gonna be a realist. Not, yeah, in the sense of like you just like you think that everyone's all flowers and like rainbows, but like no, like people, you know, life right. happens or stuff like that. So, so there's a difference about feeling positive about things that are coming your way versus things that you have to do. So, let me give you an example. Some random person comes into you and says, hey, by the way, I want to invest uh, some money and you have some money in savings. And you want to give them, I don't know, $10,000, $100,000, whatever you have in savings. You're not going to be like, okay, think positive, everything's going to be good, let me give them the money and not do any research, right? You know, you want to send your kids to school, be like, okay, it doesn't matter what research I have to do, let me just go and send it. it. No, obviously we have to do our research. We have to go and look into it. If there's something that needs to be looked at, then we have to look at it and we have to do something about it. But on the other hand, that's one thing. Where you have to do something, then yeah, obviously you have to focus through your research. But on the other hand, when let's say something came to you from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, meaning that you don't have the power 
to go and change it. Let's use an example. You, were de- you, were, went, you had to fly somewhere and you were delayed. There's not something that you could go and you can say, oh, by the way, okay, maybe I shouldn't have been so happy because then I could have been angry and I would have been put on standby and I would have been... There's a difference of where something comes to you and you have to just accept it with like happiness versus something that you have to do and that is something that you could go and you could look into and you could go and you could say, okay, fine, wait a minute, maybe I have to do X, Y, and Z. And maybe being positive doesn't always mean being fluffy and just like accepting everything. There is a differentiation of where it comes from. Okay, I have something else that came over in. Someone said something to me that although it hurt me that they said that, I realize that I am more upset on the principle that you don't make offensive joke about anyone, whether it's due to disability or on how they look. It is bad that I'm letting it up. Oh, is it bad that I'm letting it upset me and ruin my day? Or should I just accept that people like that exist and move on with my emotions if there isn't anything I can do to fix it due to the situation? Great, great question. So definitely you should not let it ruin your day. And if you're letting somebody ruin your day, then you're giving power to somebody else over you. You don't want to give someone power over your own minds and your own life. Even if they go and they say bad, disgusting things, you have to realize, first of all, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed it to happen. And if you heard it and you, it was offensive, whatever it is, this came from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So yeah, they did something bad, but when you go and you let it affect your day, and by the way, this is easier said than done, but at least it has to be said and this is where the goal should be. So when something bad comes across your plate, instead of focusing on the negative aspect on how you're feeling, you're not going to gain anything from that. You shouldn't let it ruin your day. You shouldn't let it affect you. Some people are idiots. Let's just be straight up for it. Some people, you know, the brains are not working at full capacity and they say things that they shouldn't say and they do things that they shouldn't do. And yes, you get upset, like, why would you do that? But you have to, and this is something that we have to work on, all of us have to work on, is take that that mindset, okay, now I'm upset, but let that not reflect on how I feel. Because if this person made me upset, if I'm in a bad mood, that's going to reflect, reflect on my spouse. That's going to be on my boss and my children. I'm going to take it out on everybody. Not because I want to, but just because now I'm in a bad mood. So you're letting somebody else not only do something bad, but also take over, over your emotions. We have to be control over our emotions. And we have to make sure that if somebody does something bad or say something bad or do something that offends us and hurts us, to try, to try really hard to not take that and change our mindset and change our outlook and go and be able to move on our day in a more in a happy and a positive aspect. Next, are there times when you're, you aren't supposed to be happy, especially when it comes to others? For example... If someone is going through something negative, are you supposed to be happy? Great point. No. If somebody is going through something bad, don't be happy and be like, hey, listen, call mom the other Rahman al Hey, listen, you know, I'm sorry about the accident, but don't worry. Everything Hashem does is for the best. No, don't worry. Be happy now. The last thing that someone wants to hear after they scratch a dented, they hurt, or they did something bad, is for you to say, this is what it's meant to be. And I remember this came up, I think it was actually on the Shabbaton, there was a Q&A. We had a Q&A, and part, one of the questions was, was, you know, like, how do you deal with somebody like in, like in a Shiva situation? Like, don't go in a Shiva situation and start saying, hey, by the way, this is what I should, you know, like, there's a time and place when you're supposed to give comfort, and there's a time and place when you're supposed to give Musar. And not always do that, do they inter, intertwine. So if someone's going through something bad, don't be like, hey, be happy now. You work on that yourself. Don't tell other people to be happy, right? That's the last thing that you need to do. All right, looks like that was a final question. And with that, we'll give the final thank you and the final goodbye. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.